The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to episode number 40 of Brand New Little People, your podcast, which is all about sleep, crying, settling, all the ups and downs of early parenting across those first few years. I'm your host, Dr. Fallon Cook, and I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Laura Conway. Hey, Laura. Hi, Fallon. How are you going? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Can you believe that we're up to episode 40? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, I can't. And I... um was also delighted to see that we had over 10,000 downloads, yeah, which I also can't believe, Alan. <laughs> yeah. 10,000 downloads of our little podcast. Who would have thought? That's, yeah, absolutely amazing. So, yeah, thank you to our listeners for tuning in and for sharing us with your friends. And, yeah, it's just really lovely that this has turned into a bit of a thing and I quite look forward to doing this every week now. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, me too. I really enjoy it and it's so wonderful to be able to um, bring the research evidence base around sleep and settling direct to families, isn't it, Fallon? That's why we started this and it's yeah. why we continue doing it. And um, it, yeah, it feels like a real treat to be able to um, make the research evidence accessible. Um, and people are enjoying it because uh, 10,000 10, people have downloaded um, the episode. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. It's absolutely amazing. It really is. Um, and look, we, we've had quite a few questions lately that I thought, oh, this would be a great podcast episode because I think it's so relevant to so many different parents. And that's on the topic of dummies and comforters. I mean, I don't know about you, Laura, but all the time I get emails or I get questions in clinic like, should my baby have a comforter? Mm. When can I give them one? What should it look like? Um, you know, is a dummy's terrible? Or someone will email and say, I'd like to come and see you in clinic, but will you make me get rid of the dummy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to which we say, yeah, no, it's, it's okay a, to keep it. No. Mm. It's such a contentious subject and it really doesn't need to be. Um, but there's mm. generational opinions <laughs> oh, there there? around the dummy use. Yes. Everyone's <laughs> mother-in-law has something to say about the dummy. <laughs> <laughs> they sure do. Oh, gosh. So, look, with comforters, I think it's, um, yeah, definitely much less contentious. Um, but I think mm. it's really important to talk about comforters just because there are some, you know, definitely some things that can make them a bit unsafe. Um, and there's certainly mm-hmm. a right time to introduce comforters. Um, but, you know, you're probably all across the Red Nose guidelines. And if you're not, go to their website, have a really good read because there's some really great tips and stuff on there. Um, but, yeah, no soft toys in the cot for the first seven months is a really, really important mm-hmm. um, one because um, soft toys are generally a little bit floppy. Babies can roll into them. Their face can get buried in them or they can um, lift them up and cover their face. Um, and it can cause problems um, with your baby's breathing overnight. So really important not to worry about comforters um, for those first few months. And your baby's unlikely to get any comfort from a comforter um, mm-hmm. at that age anyway. It's generally not really what they're looking for. 
Um, yeah. Laura, what do you tend to sort of advise families in terms of when they introduce a comforter and how they do it? Yeah, I um, recommend waiting until the baby is seven months of age or older um, and then picking a, um, a small comforter. Um, you can get some really cute little um, floppy um, toys that look a little bit like a, a flannel, I suppose, with a <laughs> with a little face on it or a, a little bit of a teddy part. Um, and then mm. there's some material um, that flops down um, underneath it. Some people prefer just getting a small um, actual soft toy. Um, what I really strongly suggest to parents is to buy at least two um, if you're going to try to introduce um, a toy as a comforter, which really means like a secure object that your um, baby and then toddler is going to be able to um, use at sleep time um, in different locations. For example, if they go for sleepover with your mother-in-law uh, or they're at daycare. Um, so there is a high chance that that comforter might go missing. So it's really good idea to have at least two of them um, and to rotate them so that they are equally as worn out as each other. Um, so if you do lose one, your baby or toddler isn't then going to get upset um, when um, you give them the new one that's identical, but it's not as well worn. Um, mm. And when you are introducing the comforter, I will often suggest um, to mums and dads to um, put the comforter in their top for a few hours um, before giving it to the baby or toddler, um, just so that it smells really comforting. It smells like mum or dad. Um, mm. And um, then that can just help them develop a strong connection with that comforter. Do you add anything yeah. else, Fallon? Yeah, look, I would say if you're the type of parent where you often have a particular perfume or cologne that you would usually wear each day, that's a really great way um, to help your baby form an attachment to their comforter, just putting on a little bit of that cologne or perfume, you know, on just the edge of the, the comforter. Um, or for breastfeeding parents, it might be putting a little bit of breast milk even on it just so there's that bit of a scent mm. and it, it smells really familiar and and comforting um, and that can often really help them form a bit of an attachment to that comforter um, and the reason why a lot of parents want to introduce a comforter is because um, they want to kind of test out will my baby sleep a little bit better if they can find this comforting item and put themselves back to sleep giving it a cuddle um, and it can be really really effective um, for some babies and toddlers um, but others just won't have a bar of it and parents try <laughs> every type of comforter under the sun and their kid is just not into it. So we never quite know which ones are going to really love it and become quite attached to it and it becomes this really useful sleep tool um, and for which it's just, you know, another toy that ends up on the shelf, <laughs> not getting a whole yes. lot of love. <laughs> oh, Fallon, I remember yeah. my mum came out to visit my second born from England <laughs> and... Um, he was um, about seven or eight months old, I think, and um, my mum was really happy to have found these cute comforters and she had bought two of them and they were lions. Mm. <laughs> and my son couldn't care less. Couldn't care <laughs> oh, less. No. Not interested in a comforter at all. <laughs> and, and babies um, don't care less granny. about... Yeah, babies don't care less about your feelings. <laughs> no. <laughs> I still have oh, a very no. pristine lion comforter <laughs> years later. <laughs> oh, it's so I like hard it. to get it. It reminds of me of, of my mum. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the comfort from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, I, it's really hard to get rid of those sort of first toys as well. I've got some soft toys mm. that I think, I don't even think they really like this, but it was there when they were a baby and now I just have to keep it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, comforters can be really helpful, but, yeah, if you find that your child just doesn't take to one, it's not the end of the world. You know, you don't need to be too worried about it. Often those children will have other things they use to settle themselves off to sleep. Could be the dummy, like we spoke about, or um, mm. some love to suck a thumb, um, or others just like to you know, have their hands up by their face and they sort of snuggle into their hands almost. Um, and others will mm. do things like, you know, maybe they love to roll into their tummy and stick their bum in the air, and that's just how they mm -hmm. they like to sleep. They like that feeling of pressure against their face and their, their chest. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different things that babies do as they get older and move into toddlerhood to help themselves calm down for sleep. Um, and a comforter is just one component that your child might potentially enjoy. So then when we think about dummies, that's a, a whole other kettle of fish in terms of when we might introduce them, um, and when we might actually wean them off the dummy. Um, and Georgia sent through an email, a lovely email, asking a question about dummies. So I thought maybe we dive into that and then we'll start to unpack some of the common questions and concerns around dummy use. Um, so Georgia says her baby is settling really well in his cot after introducing um, the Sunbell accelerated approach in early January and that she's found Sunbell really helpful. So well done, Georgia. It sounds Great. like you're doing really, really well. Um, she says her only issue now is deciding what to do with his dummy. It's a strong sleep association for him. Um, her baby is five and a half months old and goes to bed at 8pm, usually wakes around 3am for a breastfeed and is up for the day at 6.30am. Lately he's woken up two or three times overnight and wanted his dummy and then he goes straight back to sleep once he's got it. It's been frustrating getting up to replace the dummy and she's wondering if she should stop offering it and help him learn how to self-settle without it. Um, she also wonders if she was to help him stop using the dummy, is it better to take away the dummy between sort of six to 12 months of age? Um, and if they do decide to stop offering it, how would they do it? Would they go cold turkey or is there a way to sort of um, phase it out? Um, and Georgia also would love to know sort of more about whether dummies are helpful in the toddler years or does it cause sort of issues down the line? Mm -hmm. um, I know we've all heard about, you know, dummies, causing thumb sucking or tooth damage or you know all these other sort of scary things mm. so I think this is a great one to unpack um Laura what are your initial thoughts a five and a half month old wants the dummy replaced quite a bit overnight would you be saying to drop it mm. or to keep it um I would be um thinking about how strongly attached your baby is to the dummy Georgia um Normally, um, when we think about stopping the use of a dummy, we would suggest doing it before six months of age, before your baby becomes really strongly attached to it. So your son is very close to that cutoff mark. Um, so um, if you were to get rid of it now, um, you would be best off to do it cold turkey, Georgia, rather than to sometimes give it to him for some sleeps and not give it to him for other sleeps. He simply won't understand what the reasoning is behind that. Um, so if you do want to get rid of it, um, 
pick a day that you're going to stop offering him the dummy and stick to it. Make sure that you get all those dummies out of the house so that you're not tempted um, in the middle of the night if he's crying for the dummy that you're not tempted to give it to him um, after having worked hard on, um, I mean, I'd be suggesting that you stick with the approach that you used in January, the uh, supported accelerated approach. Um, so I'd be using that again um, to help him resettle without the dummy. Mm. However, the other way to look at it, Georgia, is that you're not far off the point when your son may be able to replace the dummy himself. So that normally happens somewhere around the seven month of age mark. So you're at five and a half months, you've only got a month and a half to go um, before your baby may be able to replace the dummy himself. Mm. And when that golden time um, appears, um, those times that you're currently having to go in to give him the dummy um, when he's lost it in the night um, will be past you. So if you feel that he's really attached to the dummy, you are happy to continue to use the dummy. Um, what um, can be a good thing to do is um, to think about doing some dummy play during the day when he's wide awake, um, place the dummy beside him on his mat um, and have a bit of a game to help him reach for the dummy, find the dummy and um, hold the dummy in his um, hand and you move his hand up towards his mouth so he puts the dummy in from his hand rather than from your hand. Um, and just keep practicing that um, over the next few weeks um, until he learns to do it himself. And then you may find that he um, is then becomes really competent at finding the dummy overnight um, mm. and you don't need to be replacing it. Um, what yeah. do you think, Fallon? What else would you would you add? Yeah, look, one of the things I often say to parents that they can try too, because it can feel really scary if you do decide to get rid of the dummy, you know, going cold turkey can feel... Um, really overwhelming. <laughs> Lots of parents go into mm. that feeling pretty nervous. One thing you can try is have a think about if your baby, say you're doing a long walk and they're in the pram, do they fall asleep without the dummy or do they still need it when they're in the pram? Because, you know, I'd be sort of thinking, you know, if if they just cannot fall asleep without that dummy, even with the warmth and coziness of the pram and that bit of movement, they're probably a baby who's pretty attached to the dummy and quite reliant on it to help mm. kind of calm down and get ready for sleep. But if they can fall asleep without the dummy and they do it quite often, you know, on a pram ride or a car ride, for example, um, that tells you that they've probably got some ability to manage without it. And actually doing, you might mm. in the lead up to dropping the dummy, do a lot of naps in the pram um, without the dummy. So they're getting a little bit more practice at falling asleep without it. And that might kind of make it a little bit easier when you do go to drop the dummy from, you know, the, the naps and the settles that you're doing in the cot at home. Um, so... Mm. Yeah, that could be a bit of a, a tip for anyone out there who's thinking about doing this. Um, and then in terms of, you know, Georgia sort of asks about toddlerhood and can dummies be helpful for sleep at that point or do dummies cause issues like, um, you know, thumb sucking, tooth damage. Um, I know a lot of parents ask about language problems as well. It's a really, really good mm -hmm. question. Um, look, generally we suggest keep dummies just for sleep time, except for, you know, if they're really unwell. A dummy can be an absolute lifesaver if they're not feeling well. Um, but for the most yeah. part, if you're keeping the dummy just for sleep, you're really unlikely to encounter many issues. 
Um, if when they're awake and happy, they're running around, no dummy in, you know, being able to practice language, practice eating food, all those sorts of things, um, you're probably mm-hmm. not going to hit any hurdles. Um, you know, mm. what do we know in terms of the research, Laura? I know you were looking into this just before and sort of checking that our knowledge is up to date. Um, dummy yeah. use, is that having a big impact on dental you know, problems and, and language? The Yeah, the research evidence shows that dummy use after the age of two can begin to be associated with um, what's called dental malocclusions, basically um, crooked teeth. Um, but really, it's not until um, children are over the age of four and still using the dummy that we really then become a bit worried about their um, their oral health. Um, so generally speaking, um, parents should be looking to stop using the dummy somewhere between two and four years of age. The exception to that would be if you have a baby or a young toddler who is having chronic ear infections, um, then the advice is to um, stop using the um, dummies because they do seem to be um, associated with um, repeated ear infections in some um, infants and um, toddlers. the other things to consider about the introduction of dummies so in little little babies um, would be to avoid introducing the dummy um, and if you're breastfeeding your baby um, just for the first few weeks of life whilst you're getting the breastfeeding established so the um, red nose suggests waiting for the first four to six weeks to pass um, whilst you're getting the breastfeeding established um, and then introducing the dummy at that point if you um, would like to. If you have a baby who is um, purely bottle fed, then you can introduce the dummy straight off the bat. Um, You don't need to wait for the um, first four to six weeks to pass. Mm. Um, And yeah, I would strongly suggest, and perhaps we can put a link in the show notes, Fallon, it's the royal we since uh, you're the <laughs> you're the person who does the show notes. Um, maybe we can put a link to the guidelines uh, on the Red Nose um, website um, for families to check out. Um, there are other things to um, uh, that are worth um, noting, such as even if your great grandma wants to dip the um the dummy in honey or in brandy or in wine or whatever they did back in 1940 that worked wonders for their child really avoid doing that now we don't want to be dipping the dummy in anything sweet or in anything at all um Mm. we want to be making sure that it's clean um they you are replacing them regularly um so that they're you know if you have an older toddler who loves to gnaw on their dummy then you'll need to replace it more frequently um just because the um, integrity of the dummy can be damaged by those sharp little teeth um Mm. crunching down on the teat Yes. Gosh, I reckon we could have a podcast episode that's all about the like insanely outdated advice <laughs> that we hear from <laughs> from some of our beloved grandparents. 
Um, I've got, I don't know, people who've who've seen me in clinic would know from my um, Zoom background that I've got a whole lot of really old textbooks in a shelf behind me. Um, And a few of those are old paediatric textbooks, you know, how to care for baby and um, some of them Mm. are for nurses and midwives and things. And you have a flick through and there's some horrifying things in there. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll have to have a flick through. We'll have to bring some of those on the show because they are, yeah, quite funny. And it makes me wonder, too, what are our, like, grandchildren and great-grandchildren going to be just stunned about? Things that we will be like, yeah, you know. Um, put them down and swaddle them and they'll be like, swaddle them? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Yeah, that they will just think, what yeah. the were they doing back then? <laughs> and that's why it's so important for us to stay on top of the latest research evidence, isn't it, Fallon? Because yeah. things are, you know, we, we've worked in research for years and years, um, the two of us, so um, it's... Um, we know that there's whole teams of very talented um, researchers who are um, constantly looking to improve our knowledge and understanding of infant and um, toddler sleep. Um, and we uh, have Google alerts and all sorts, and we're members of um, mm. international groups of sleep scientists to ensure that we're staying on top of the research because we do know that um, uh, sometimes the needle does shift and there is something new that comes yeah. out and we then have to uh, we have to respond because that's yeah. that's the whole purpose of what we're doing is to make and sure we're keeping up to date. Absolutely. One thing I love about parents of today is that we are so much more flexible than past generations. So if the advice does change, parents are like, great, what are we doing now? Let's do it. <laughs> and mm. I love that. We're not too bogged down in sticking to what we've always done. We're a bit more flexible thinking. And I think that's a really good thing when it comes to parenting. Um, anyway, that we yeah, went on a bit of a definitely. tangent. But one thing I just Ooh, wanted to add did. to the dummy yeah. thing <laughs> before we yes. move on to some other fantastic parent questions is what you're going to do if you have a toddler and you need to wean the dummy. Um, it's another really yes. common question that we get because for, you know, a to- look, I would argue for even for some babies, but certainly in toddlerhood, their dummy can be like, well, it's like a teddy bear that they're really attached to. Um, they form a really strong connection with their dummy and they love it. So mm-hmm. taking it away um, can be really, really a challenging thing for them to go through. Um, look, what I usually suggest to families is there comes a point maybe from two up to three years of age, somewhere in that window, where you'll think, okay, I think my child could be ready, you know, sort of cognitively ready to understand this change. Um, Often a really good way to do it is to start to talk a little bit about the dummy fairy. So the dummy fairy Mm -hmm. can come along and take away your child's dummy and in exchange they leave a present. So you can start to talk to your toddler about this idea. Did you know that one day a dummy fairy is going to come, they'll collect your dummy and they'll leave you a wonderful gift. And the dummy fairy is going to drop that dummy off to the little babies in the hospital that need a new dummy. Um, And it's such a grown up, wonderful thing to do. And and yeah, so you're sort of building this narrative for them so they understand that's something Mm. that's coming. Some toddlers are just going to go, absolutely not. She's not coming to my house. (laughs) And that might be your sign that they're just not quite there yet. You might need to keep talking about it a little longer. And other toddlers will grab that dummy, put it in your hand and say, can we do it now? I want my present. (laughs) 
You know, they're just ready for it. So it can help you get a sense of whether your child is ready for that change or not. I always suggest that that dummy fairy leaves something that your your child can cuddle if they're really missing their dummy at bedtime. Something they can snuggle in with um, is a really good way Mm. to do it. And I think don't rush it. There are some children that need a dummy. Children who really struggle to down-regulate and they're very reliant on the dummy to do it. Think about you know, there might come a point where you try to bring in something new that they can use to downregulate. So when they go and grab their dummy and use it to calm down when they're upset, you might make a habit of giving them, maybe it's a comforter, <laughs> we're coming back around to comforters again, mm-hmm. um, or a special toy or something, something else that they use at that time so that then mm-hmm. if the dummy's not available, they can, you know, get some comfort from that other thing. And I think that is a really mm-hmm. kind way to do it. Um, and if you think, gosh, this is going to be traumatizing for my child, it's just not the right time. You know, you know your child best. Mm-hmm. So it might be that you wait a little longer um, for a time when it's a little easier. But generally all children get to a point where they're like, yeah, I can do without this now. I've, I've built up my repertoire of, of skills and things I can use to calm down and they're, they're just ready for it. Um, so, yeah, I hope that's yeah. helpful for parents. Mm. Yeah. Um, All I would add, Fallon, is just to um, 100% avoid shaming your toddler or preschooler who is still Mm. using a dummy. Um, We want to um, be building them up um, and giving them motivation and encouragement to stop using the dummy when the time is right. Um, Very old school um, method is to make a child feel like they're you know they're a baby you know you're acting like a baby only babies need Mm. dummies um we don't want to be doing that anymore um and we were discussing earlier weren't we Fallon about um some families that we work with who have much older children who are still using dummies um you know four or five years of age um there's normally a good reason for it um, yeah those children are still using a dummy um and um if it's an important crutch for a child who has self-regulation issues then um we don't want to just be ripping that crutch out from underneath them um we want to be being supportive now for many of our listeners that's not going to be the case for them um their children will have stopped using their dummy way before then um but if you do have a child if you are listening and you do have an older child who is struggling to give up the dummy um then um yeah think about um how to build their um, motivation um up to leave the dummy behind um and yeah listen uh, take on board the points that fallon you've just spoken about um you mm. know introducing a new um activity um that they they do alongside um sucking the dummy when they're trying to down regulate um and um building on that until you can get rid of it altogether yeah yeah i think that's really good advice laura um all right so moving on to some of our other parent questions it's been another busy week um we Mm -hmm. had a question sent in from jasmine who's a new sonbell member um so she's just gotten started and has a question about the diary she says that the first Mm -hmm. night of tracking her baby's sleep was one of the worst nights she's had with her 15 month old um they were waking up every sleep cycle um, and also awake for three hours from 12.30 a.m. to 3.30 a.m. Oh, Jasmine, that is a really tough first night in a sleep diary. So she says he Mm -hmm. slept a lot less than he usually would. 
should she discount this night in the diary when calculating his sleep needs? Well, that's not the full question, but I am going to stop there to say keep that in the diary. That's really important mm-hmm. because often what children will do is they might have three or four days where they get quite a lot of sleep and then that brings down the sleep pressure and they have maybe it's one night but maybe it's three or four nights that are terrible. Um, and it's because overall mm-hmm. they're oh, – it's hard to explain. Overall you want to look at their average between the highs and the lows because that's mm-hmm. what their unique sleep ne- needs are likely to be. <clears throat> so – If you Mm. take out the poor nights, you're basing your average sleep need on the times when it's really good. And we know that your child Mm -hmm. can't maintain those good times. So definitely get the bad Mm -hmm. nights in the diary. Um, And being awake for three hours in the middle of the night, yeah, that's a definite sleep pressure issue. So working through that sleep diary will be so, so important for um, fixing up those nights. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she goes on to say, also, the only way I can get him to sleep at the moment is picking him up and um, he falls back asleep in my arms and it can take anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes, um, sometimes more. She has to wait until he's into a deeper sleep, otherwise he screams murder and won't stop screaming for hours if I try and put him down. So this is actually why Mm. Jasmine joins Sunbell. This is what she's wanting to work on. Um, But she wants to know, how do I count the time that he's in my arms? Is he awake or asleep? Um, what does it count as? Um, and she says he's been averaging three hours or she's been averaging three hours of broken sleep per night. Tell me I'm not the only one, she says. Oh, Jasmine, you're not. I think you know, we spoke about something similar last week that so many parents start from this point where you feel like yeah. you are so deep in that trench. Um, what you've just described, Jasmine, sounds absolutely, I mean, it's completely hideous. <laughs> it's just hideous. Mm-hmm. Being it up is. for three hours in the middle of the night, having to rock him for so long to get him back to sleep. It's a really um, quite a, a substantial sleep pressure problem. Um, but these problems turn around and you're in the right place um, to turn that around. Mm-hmm. So you're definitely not the only one. And I think there's a whole lot of listeners who would absolutely be going, no, I was there. <laughs> I remember. Yes. But they're through it now and you will get through it as well. Um, So what do we think, Laura, about how to count the sleep when he's sort of, you know, in her arms, awake sometimes, asleep other times? Yeah, I would say um, that for the parts where he's asleep in your arms, um, just count that as as sleep. Um, And Mm. when he's grizzling and crying, um, in your arms or if he's just lying there happily like quietly but his eyes are open then that's what he's awake so don't count that as a sleep but what we want um, to capture in that sleep diary is all of the points um, across the day and the night across a whole week that your baby is actually asleep so it doesn't matter if he's in your arms or in the cot or in the pram or in the car um, we just are capturing when he is asleep um, don't mm. say that he's awake. I, I wouldn't count it as that he's awake um, whilst he's in your arms. Um, so it would mm. be thinking whilst he's in your arms, some of that time he's asleep. If he's in your arms for an hour overnight, um, perhaps he's been asleep for half of that. You might notice it's been about half of that. But if for that um, half an hour that he's been in your arms, he's hardly he hasn't been asleep at all. Um, and he's very restless, opening his eyes, squirming, whinging. Um, arching his back then don't count that as a sleep have I just said that really really badly (laughs) Fallon (laughs) 
So I think it's it's a tricky answer because it's a tricky problem. Like I'm imagining Jasmine's in a dark room trying to figure out, I don't know, is he asleep? Is he awake? It can be hard to tell if they've got their eyes open. Mm. I think you're just going to have to take your best guess. I would say if eyes are closed and he's reasonably still, just say that it's sleep. Um, and also, you know, this is a bit of an, it's an estimate, you know, after a few weeks, when you're starting to find a rhythm, you might keep a sleep diary again. And then at that point, it's that much clearer to know when he's asleep or awake, because at the moment, it sounds like he's spending a lot of time, maybe do like sleep pressure's low. So he's dozing a lot in your arms and then pops mm. out of that doze very easily. So it is this real um, there's no clear line. It's a real mixed bag. Mm. Um, but as you start to work on the daily rhythm, you'll start to notice, yeah, a big difference between when he's awake and when he's asleep and it will be much easier to track. Yeah. So hang in yeah. there, Jasmine. Um, it's really, really tricky, but we look forward to hearing how you go and, and, um, yeah, do keep us updated. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have our next question from Jackie. So Jackie's daughter is nine months old and she writes that um, her and her partner have loved having access to both the Sombell 0-3 month and 4-12 to month program um, and that they've suggested it to quite a few mums. Oh, that's always lovely to hear, isn't it, Fallon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jackie says... Jackie says, I've listened to every episode of your podcast and look forward to it. It's such an amazing resource for first time parents. Fantastic. Aww, Thank you, that's Jackie. Nice. Mm. So Jackie says, our baby consistently has just over 12 hours per 24 hours. We put her down at 8 p.m. and she wakes at 6 a.m. and she has two naps. The first is an hour and a half and the second is 45 minutes. She has one bottle at midnight, but we are cutting that back and she's only having around 50 mils. It feels more habitual, but we haven't had the energy to ditch it yet. Um, our baby self-settles for all naps and at night easily. She occasionally wakes at 5.15am, but she'll go back down with a quick cuddle and pats in her cot. She's also started daycare three weeks ago, and although her naps are later in the day, she's still having an hour and a half nap and a 45-minute nap at daycare. So Jackie's questions are, first of all, at daycare, she will occasionally go down for her naps a bit later in the day, and the shorter wake window leads to, leading up to bedtime means she isn't very tired at bedtime. Jackie asks, should they cap her second nap if she goes down later in the day at childcare? She goes to childcare two days a week. Mm. What do you think, Fallon? Look, I would say no, because that 45 minute nap is probably one sleep cycle. And so if we wake her up mm. earlier, we're waking her up, you know, partway through a sleep cycle. And that's a great way to make a baby very cranky um, and very, <laughs> yes. very moody. They don't like being woken at that point. So it's only two days per week and it's only occasionally that the naps push later in the day at childcare. Look, I would probably say maybe push bedtime a little bit later on those two days if mm. you need to. Um, and see if that changes anything. If that really throws out her nights, having a slightly later bedtime, um, then you don't want to do it. So it might also be worth a conversation with daycare and just sort of say, look, is it possible to be putting her down a little bit earlier? You know, what can we do just to mm. keep her day sleep roughly on track with what happens at home? Um, if they just mm. can't and every day at childcare, she's always having her naps a little bit later, 
then it could be worth matching um, what they do at daycare with what you do at home. So maybe if you can't change what happens at daycare, you might adjust the naps when she's at home um, and build out your daily rhythm around that just so she's got that continuity no matter where she is. Um, but look, most mm. babies will manage a couple of days per week being slightly different and it won't be a huge drama. Um, so chances mm. are you, you won't need to change much except to maybe just pop her down a little bit later those days. At bedtime. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, at bedtime. Good. Um, Jackie's next question is, if we drop the overnight feed, do we need to adjust her daily schedule to allow for the extra 15 minutes of sleep she will get overnight once she no longer has this feed? Um, now, I'll take this one, Fallon, just so that because mm. you answered the last one. Um, <laughs> Go for it. Um, so, listen, Jackie, I would say not. Let's just see if um, once you've dropped that feed, if you can stick to roughly the same schedule. Um, she's having about 10 hours overnight and probably just under that at the moment because she is having that feed. Once you have dropped that feed, just see, give it a week, see if you can still do an 8pm bedtime and a 6am wake up. If you find after about a week that she's consistently waking up more at the 5.30, quarter to 6 in the morning, then I would be looking to move bedtime just a little bit later. Um, but I don't want you to jump straight into that at the moment. Just give it a whirl, um, see how you go for a week um, and only then move bedtime 15 minutes later um, if you find that she is consistently starting the day before 6am, which I always think is just very unpleasant having to start the day <laughs> any earlier than six, Fallon. Yes, I agree with uh, you Did there. you have anything to add to that? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think that's, that's good. I think it sort of, it ties into probably the next question, which um, mm. the next question from Jackie, mm. which is about how her daughter often wakes tired and cranky in the morning at 6am. Um, she wakes up on mm. her own accord at 6am, but doesn't seem refreshed. But after a feed and with some rousing, with music and chatting and that sort of thing, she's completely fine. So does that mean that she needs more overnight sleep and less day sleep or should they stick with what they're doing? So it sort of ties in. I mean, it might be that that mm. extra 15 minutes of sleep overnight once that feed is dropped is just you know, enough to help her wake up that bit happier. But I'd also say I wouldn't be too yes. worried if she's waking up a bit cranky at that time. If within a few minutes she's completely fine and copes beautifully with the day, um, she might just be like me. I always wake up a bit cranky. <laughs> I reckon there's a few few grown-ups out there who do too. It doesn't matter how well you sleep. You know, I don't really want to face yes. the world in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, just um, yeah, see how you go. I think that's right, Fallon, that once she's having that full 10 hours overnight and um, is not having that wake that she currently is in the night for the feed, um, she'll be having a lovely stretch of 10 hours, good quality restorative sleep overnight. Um, and um, just by virtue of dropping that one weight she's having overnight, that might give her a little bit more um, energy first thing in the morning so that she wakes up a bit more refreshed. Um, mm. And if she doesn't, yeah, it might just be her personality. And I still like mm -hmm. you, Fallon, even though you're grumpy. 
in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> when we've occasionally had our work weekends away where we just like dive into work stuff and we often Laura and I will go and book some really cute little cottage in the countryside and do work for the weekend. I'm always very careful to get up and make a coffee before I like sit down and try and talk to you. <laughs> Because until yeah. I've had that no 10, eye 15 minutes. before coffee. Yeah, yeah. Don't even talk to me. Just get, we're such millennial. Well, I'm such a millennial. <laughs> You're an older millennial, I think. Are you? Or are you Gen? I think X? no. I think I, I'm on the cusp. I'm a Gen X, uh, but I'm well, a very um, a young Gen X or an old millennial, depending which way you want to think about well, it. Either way, I, feel, I, I think... hate being right at the cusp. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's a bit of a characteristic <laughs> of both of our generations that. We're all about the coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we sure are. All right, Jackie. So I hope that those answer, uh, the, our answers help you um, continue to make really good progress. You're doing really well um, and yeah. continue to do so. Um, Absolutely. So next we have um, a question from Marilyn and Gavin. So they previously have emailed us. Um, they've sent through an update on their 10 month old. Um, mm. They've had some really terrific progress with their little one self settling in her cot and having some fantastic nights, including settling easily for naps at childcare, which is wonderful. Mm. However, we all know that sleep isn't linear. <laughs> um, I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know that sleep isn't linear. And so Marilyn has written to say that recently she went away for work for a few nights. And since this time, their daughter has been very reluctant to settle in the cot and she's now crying a lot at bedtime. They've reintroduced some feeds at night to help her settle. They also say she doesn't always show tired signs until she's in a dark room. Therefore, it's tricky to tell sometimes whether she's ready for sleep. They're also wondering if she's overtired at bedtime because even with a lot of rocking and humming, she gets very angry when put in the cot. So Marilyn and Gavin ask, could it be a developmental leap or that she needs more stimulation and physical exercise to expend her energy to be ready to accept sleep. Or perhaps her awake window has changed again. Fallon, what do you think? Mm, look, I think there's probably a couple of things going on. Um, often when a parent is away for a few nights, a bit of separation anxiety starts. And given their baby's 10 mm. months old, they're right in the peak mm. of where separation anxiety they can are. really take off. Yeah. Um, and that might explain some of the reluctance to go down for sleep in the cot because she's thinking, well, if I go in my cot, you might wander away or I might wake up in the night and you won't be there. Um, so she might be mm. worrying a little bit about that. But it also sounds like there could be a real loss of sleep pressure. Um, mm. Just some of the things, you know, like the real, yeah, taking a long time to settle um, you know, feeling like you've got to reintroduce nighttime feeds to help her settle and even just finding that she's not really showing tired signs until she's in a dark room. Um, all of those things, oh, and especially the um, having to rock and hum her a lot at bedtime and she's still really cranky mm. um, and, yeah. and unhappy and not falling asleep. If her sleep pressure is high mm. enough, then as soon as she's in your arms and you're rocking and humming, she'd be trying to go to sleep because it's it's so comforting. Mm. Um, so I would say, I mean, that's a lot to pick apart, but no, I wouldn't be too worried about developmental leaps. There's not a lot of evidence that those really, um, are a thing and have a big impact, um, 
on on sleep. Um, but I would be thinking if there's some separation anxiety, she's going to struggle to separate from you at any time of day, not just when you put her in the cot. So have a check for that. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's separation anxiety, you might need to just sleep on a bed near her cot for a little while. And there's lots of information in Sonbel about dealing with separation Mm. anxiety. So go and have a read through that. Being present for a week or two through the night, um, just nearby might be enough to help reduce her anxiety. And sometimes that opens the door Mm -hmm. to then being able to work on the settling again. Um, Mm. And just in terms of that loss of sleep pressure, I think definitely keep a diary again, because at this age, it's not uncommon at all for total sleep needs to drop all of a sudden. They'll just drop down maybe Mm -hmm. one sleep cycle or something per day. Um, And then that coupled with a bit of separation anxiety Yeah, it's a recipe Mm. for some pretty broken nights and some very challenging settling. So if you can work out what her sleep needs are, build up a new daily rhythm that fits those sleep needs. Um, After a week or so, her sleep pressure is going to be really nice and high at bedtime. She should be easier to settle. Um, And then what approach Mm. you use for settling will depend a little bit on whether that is separation anxiety um, or not. Um, So, yeah, that's Mm. probably a lot to digest. Would you add anything to that, Laura? No, I think that you've answered that um, uh, really fully. Um, the um, the email goes on to ask whether it would be better for um, their baby to be sleeping in her own room. Um, they say that they're planning to transition her into her own room after she turns one year of age. Um, mm. So I think, again, the answer to this question will depend on whether she does have separation anxiety um, and that you're noticing that that she is showing um, anxious behaviours during the day as well as at night, um, because that's the way that we determine if it's simply behavioural or preference at night time versus whether it actually is separation anxiety. Um, And... So if you do decide and realise that it is separation anxiety, it may be that right now is not the best time to put her into her own Mm. bedroom, that you would want to first work on reducing her separation anxiety as she's falling asleep, staying with her, lying on your bed, for example, while she's going to sleep and making sure that she can see you in your bed overnight. Um, And then once that's alleviated somewhat, then you could look to um, moving her into her own room. Again, if separation anxiety is present, then I'd be checking out the um, Kofi co-sleeping fade-out approach um, in Sombell. What that will involve is you setting up a bed in the new bedroom with your daughter um, so that you can sleep in there with her initially um, and then um, you can um, choose the approach that suits you best to then um, help support her to go to sleep whilst you're out of the room um, because that will then help her um, stay asleep overnight as well so we really just have to be very respectful of that separation anxiety and make sure that we don't trigger any anxious Mm. response um, in her at bedtime um, as she's settling off to sleep. Of course, if there isn't any separation anxiety and it's purely behavioural, um, then you absolutely can move her into her own room at this point. Mm. Um, the Red Nose Guidelines is to room share for the first six to 12 months. So you're at 10 months of age now. So if there's no separation anxiety, it's purely behavioural. Um, once you've got the new daily rhythm sorted, as Valens described, 
then you can look to move her into her own bedroom um, and then pick the settling strategy um, perhaps mm. that you um, used before when you taught her how to settle in the cot um, and you might find that then her nights are better your nights are better because you're not interrupting her and she's not interrupting you overnight yeah we see that so mm. much I think in clinic too um, if there's not separation anxiety and babies do move to their own room so often parents sleep and baby sleep improves um, because everyone's been mm. interrupting each other's sleep. Babies can be such <laughs> noisy sleepers, but so are parents. We roll around and move yeah. around and some babies are light sleepers, so they wake really easily. Um, so, yeah, if you are listening in and you know your child doesn't have separation anxiety and your nights have been a bit of a challenge, um, and particularly if they're you know past that six-month mark and heading towards one year of age, do it. It can often be really life-changing. And if it feels scary, then, you know, move into the nursery with them and just have a spare bed on the floor Mm -hmm. of the nursery for your own sake if you need to. You know, sometimes it's nice to Mm. help them with that transition and it it helps parents as well. Um, And you'll probably find you'll quickly get your confidence up and you'll feel okay sleeping back in your room and and using a monitor to keep an eye on them in the night. Um, But sometimes it does Mm. make a big difference and, and parents are really surprised by that. Um, yeah, so look, yeah. thank you to the parents who sent in these fantastic questions this week. Um, I hope this episode's mm. been really helpful for those parents and for anyone who's listening in and who's ever had some questions about comforters or dummies or anything else discussed today. Um, and a huge thank you to all those people who have downloaded our episodes. There's been a whole lot of new likes and reviews and things left for the podcast lately as well. Um, and we notice every single one of them. So thank you for all those lovely five-star <laughs> reviews. It means the world to us. Um, yeah. We'll include some links um, in the show notes as well, um, as discussed earlier on. If you need help with your baby or your toddler's sleep or settling, you know, finding a good daily rhythm or troubleshooting night waking, um, have a look at our program, Sombel. We've poured our hearts and souls into Sombel to make it the most incredible resource out there. And I think that's why we really consistently just get beautiful, lovely feedback from families. Um, mm. And it's it's just great. It's really great to hear it working for families. So if you're struggling, it's a great way to get help, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably where we will leave it this week for episode number 40. <laughs> Have a great week, yeah, everybody. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you then. Bye. If you need help with your baby or toddler's sleep or settling, you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 3 years. It contains all the best resources from the sleep clinics at Infant Sleep Australia, so you can rest easy and so can your child. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.